It's Super Bowl Sunday. Are you excited? Like, uh, yeah, that's why we came early, Brandon. Let's get this done, right? No, <laughs> I get you. Good to see you. Hey, Nehemiah is where we're at still uh, for several weeks. This week as I was studying, I, there's so much in the book of Nehemiah. We, honestly, we could take a year and go through, go through the book, okay? I want to let you know that. Um, and I'm contemplating just saying it's not going to be nine weeks. It's going to be nine, and then we'll see where it goes from there, and maybe another nine. And, but we're, we'll, keep it, we'll keep it to nine. And then we're going to celebrate Easter, so it's going to be a great time. But I, I do encourage you, because I, I'm not going verse by verse through Nehemiah, and we're not taking a year to go through it, p- please study it on your own. Please read it on your own. Uh, let it impact you, especially, I, don't, I try not to use a lot of time at the beginning to read through the whole passage and then go back and explain it all. So we really do kick off right into the passage and start breaking down into chunks without reading the whole thing for context. So that'd be something you could do ahead of time is just read the chapter before you come, come to church. Next week, it's going to be chapters three and four we'll be covering. So if you read both of those chapters, you're going to be ahead of the game and, and see, uh, see where we're at before we start next week, okay? So we're in Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, we're actually looking back at the, the last verse of chapter 1 as well in our, uh, in our time together today. But Nehemiah, this series, is called A Determined Servant. And Nehemiah was this, this servant-minded, humble man who, who had a determination or an ambition to serve the Lord with all of his heart, to do whatever he could do to, to bring success to what God was doing and partner with God. And, and in this series, what I'm asking us to consider during the whole time, and today is the same, is that we would look at our own hearts and, and, and we as determined servants would see how we can be better determined servants in our families, in our church, and in our community to the uttermost parts of the earth. That, that I think we can glean from Nehemiah tips for leadership, but just tips for guidance on what our lives should and could look like in our families, in our church, and in our community, all right? Uh, so a little background real quick. Nehemiah, remember, Nehemiah was uh, a Persian-born Israelite. That is to say, he was, he was born out of the Israelites who uh, were exiled from Jerusalem when the Babylonians conquered them. And they were dispersed, and he was born in a foreign country, but as an Israelite. And he had, he had a, a strong heritage and a strong tradition to move him and motivate him. He knew the word of God very, very well. He understood the importance of Jerusalem to the story and history of God. And we see and know that, that Jerusalem is the city of David, right? And out of the city and line of David, we will see that Jesus, the Messiah, comes, right? He is born. Um, and actually, the city of David, we want to say the city of David is Bethlehem, where he was born. But the king and the kingdom will reign through Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus ultimately comes in his triumphal entry, and we see ultimately he is then crucified. And that this city lifts him up on a cross so that all men may come to him and have forgiveness and eternal life. They didn't know what they were doing. And Jesus said that when he bowed and gave his last. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. But Jerusalem is to be and was to be then a city that was lifted up high on a hill, a city on a hill, that was shining the light into the darkness, into a dark world. And Nehemiah, in this Persian area, he learns in the city of Susa, as he was an official in the king's court, a cupbearer, he learns from his brother who comes to visit. He said, what, what's going on in Jerusalem? He, he knew that some of the remnant had gone back when King uh, Darius had, had uh, let them go. He knew that, that some had gone back to Jerusalem and wanted to know what's going on there. And his brother said, it's still a shame. 
It's still like the people are living in exile there. They're not able to rebuild. The walls are in shambles and the gates have been burned down. And what we learned last week was that Nehemiah, hearing that news and knowing what he knows about God and the city of God, Nehemiah's heart broke. And Nehemiah wept. And the question that I posed to us was, do we know what breaks the heart of God? And more importantly, do you and I partner with God in that and pair our priorities there? And do we, do we plant ourselves in that position so that we know what breaks God's heart? And when it happens, that we have broken hearts too. Does what grieves God grieve us? And does what God celebrates, is it something that we celebrate? And that's, that was a question from last week. So we saw Nehemiah with a broken heart going before the Lord in prayer and in fasting because he cared so much for the city of God and for the glory of God to be revealed. So today we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 2 and going through the rest of uh, this introduction of of Nehemiah. And uh, we're going to be learning about this servant's strategy. So he's a determined servant and he had a strategy and kind of a guidepost for life. And, And we need to look at what are some of the important guides that you and I can have in life. And as we look at this today, I think these, these four things are, are pretty pertinent as we observe in Nehemiah 2. They're pertinent to, to our own lives. And if we would adopt these as kind of guidelines and kind of rules of order in our life, just overarching, it would be very beneficial to us and it would be very beneficial to the kingdom of God. All right? So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started in Nehemiah chapter 2. Father, you are so, so great. We are so grateful to be here today to to worship you, to learn from your word. God, I pray that uh, as your Holy Spirit is here, it would be convincing us of truth, God, convicting us of sin and, and changing us, challenging us to be more like your son, Jesus. We are thankful for all that you're doing in us and through us. But God, we want to see more of you show up in our families, more of you show up in our church, more of you show up in our community day by day, that we would be faithful, determined servants honoring the Most High God. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to look at this, this ser- servant's determination uh, and actually his strategy uh, and what he did in order to, to just be in a place that God could use and bless and God could, could challenge and change, all right? So number one is this, that he, he was persistent in faithful prayer. Nehemiah was persistent in faithful prayer. Go back to chapter 1, and verse 11, and we're going to read uh, that through chapter 2, verse 5a. It says this, At that time, I was, or before that, in verse 11, Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and have compassion on him in the presence of this man, that is the king. At that time, I was the king's cupbearer. Chapter 2. During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why are you sad when, uh, when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear, and I replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. 
Let's, let's look at what we, what we see in this passage. Uh, first of all, we, we see in, in chapter 1, he hears the news, he, he grieves over the news, he weeps over it, and then he spends time in prayer. And at the end of that prayer, and this is the month of uh, Kislev, by the way, this is December, November, or November, December. So this is four months prior to the king saying, what's wrong? And in four months prior to this, he says to the God of heaven, give me success when? This day that I might be able to speak before the king. So he wants that success that day. He wants to, to get this done that day. His heart is hurting and aching. And, uh, and for Nehemiah, although today would be the preferred day, it would not be the right day. And I think for you and I, we can, we can kind of see how that works for us too, right? Sometimes we want things today to happen. We want to see God's plan happen right now. Over the course of like the last few months, as I've met with people and as I've talked with people, one of the, one of the biggest things I tell them to do is, is pray, pray over that situation, but give it some time. You, you come into my office or you, come, you call me on the phone and say, my wife is going to leave me or my wife did leave me or, or what do I do now? I said, well, don't do anything. Just, just wait. Pray and wait and give it some time because God's action may not be right today. Now, some, sometimes it is. Sometimes God's telling you and asking you, obey. And I don't want you to wait to obey. I don't want you to wait to get it figured out when you think you might want to obey me. Obey me now. But as far as partnering with God and seeing how he's moving in our lives, through our lives, it may not be how you and I have planned it. Amen? It may be that tomorrow he may act. It may be that in a year he may act. I have heard tons of stories of family members praying day after day after day, year after year, Decade after decade for their family members to come to know Christ. And 40 or 50 years later, finally they do. God answered a prayer. But it wasn't the day that they had wanted. It was God's day. I, I began to write a note in my sermon notes that, you know, God's timing never disappoints. That sounds good, doesn't it? But that is such a lie. God's timing disappoints us all the time. Like, I want this right now. I don't want to wait. We feel a bit disappointed by God's time all the time. There are things that we would prefer to have now, and God says, not yet. So the question is, do we then give up? Absolutely not. See, Nehemiah, Nehemiah understood that his faith in God would be what sustained him and not his reliance on his feelings or emotions. Amen? See, Nehemiah knew that a faith in God would sustain him and not his own reliance on personal feelings and emotions. We know how we get Listen, today, after the big game, after you have that seven-layer dip, you're going to have some feelings and emotions down deep. You may not be able to rely on those quite as well as you think you can. Yes, Nehemiah was grieving. Yes, Nehemiah was sad. Yes, he was depressed, as the king said. But it didn't keep him from prayer. It sent him there. See, when we let our heart break for the things that break God's heart, that should send us to a place of prayer and reliance on him. So the king asked, why are you so sad? This is, this is sadness, what's going on? And, and Nehemiah had for months been serving the king loyally and, and now finally had just gotten the best of him and that weariness had come to his face. And the king asked, why are you so sad? And, and what does scripture say? He says, I was, I was overwhelmed with fear. Overwhelmed with fear. Fear is amazing, amazing emotion. 
It's an emotion that will cripple a lot of us. It will paralyze us. It can make us do crazy, crazy things. I want to share a little story with you from this week about fear. I hate snakes. I'm just going to say that. I hate spiders. Like, I'll kill a spider in my house for my wife. I'm a macho man. But uh, spiders, I'm not, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, you, now you're all feeling like they're crawling on you, right? Teacher Chris here has a pet tarantula. Yeah. Named Rosie, right? Because when you give it a name, it makes it so it's not as bad. It's a tarantula. She brought the tarantula, the said tarantula, in a, in a what do you call it? An aquarium, right? A glass sealed locked case. To, to school to show the children. They're enamored. They love it, right? Oh, that's so cool. They're not, they don't understand fear of spiders. I do. And she brought it back over to the office, you know, where we were working. And she sets it out on her little, on the little cabinet next to her, her desk. Well, meanwhile, the day goes along and, and uh, people in the office decide they want to pull a prank on me. And, uh, and they had taken the aquarium and, and set the aquarium right next to my chair Kind of, kind of under the side of my desk. So, so if I walked in, and I mean, it's, it's going to be right there. And I had actually gone in and met with somebody, not even knowing it was there. But later on, and fear does a crazy thing to you, right? Later on, I walk into my office, and I, like, I'm a big guy. I'm not, I don't move real fast. But I walked around my desk, and I saw that spider. I about jumped out of my skin. This huge tarantula I had not seen for hours, apparently. I now see. I, I jump out of my skin. My body goes flush with just like a hot flash immediately. Little pins and needles everywhere. Hair sticking up on end everywhere. That's why I had to cut it off, right? I was scared. I actually, I, I thought I might wet myself. I was like, this is, I, I went outside. I had to get fresh air. I'm even feeling it right now. I mean, I, I'm reliving that. And I, I'm like, I get someone to fan me. It, it was crazy. This honking tarantula. I want nothing to do with it. I've seen Lord of the Rings. I've seen that big spider. I, oh, I, I squealed. Some choice words. I, but I did not swear. I was pretty proud of myself. You really know where your heart is with Jesus when you see a tarantula in your office. Wow. I mean, I was scared. Fear makes you do some crazy things, doesn't it? For you and I, as we live this life, I mean, it may not be a tarantula that's freaking you out from, from living out God's purpose, but, but there is fear. And fear will paralyze us at times, and fear will, fear will make us so we, we don't want to approach that spot because we're, of a, we're afraid of what's going to happen. And I think if we look at this, this uh, fear in a, in a general sense, in Nehemiah, there were three kind of topics of fear that Nehemiah was probably dealing with. And, and perfect love, we know that God's perfect love cast out all fear, but it still creeps in, right? It's going to still be there for a minute, and for a moment you think about it, and then you've got to rely and be in persistent, faithful prayer, so we can trust in God again, and that fear will go away. But Nehemiah was afraid in, in three different ways. There was the fear of death or acceptance, right? And we can, I want to see how you can relate to this. Maybe death's not your fear. Maybe it is. Maybe you're, you're at the age, you're like, maybe I might die next week. Or maybe you're just afraid of death altogether. Well, Jesus can take care of that, by the way. Jesus conquered death when he rose from the dead, that you and I could have eternal life, that, that when this body dies, this person doesn't die because Jesus conquered Satan's sin and death once and for all, and his righteousness is on me. But he, he knew that going before the king and speaking before the king could lead to death. He knew that uttering this request could lead to death. He knew that, that, that Ezra had already asked, said, I want to build. And, and the, the enemy said, no, you can't rise up against the king. And the king said, no, you stop building right now. The king had spoken about this, and it was final. There's a fear that he, he might die. And for you and I, death or acceptance, even just being accepted in different circles and relationships. I, I may not speak because I'm afraid of losing a relationship or friendship. 
Those are fears that we have. Next fear was guilt. We saw last week where Nehemiah prayed and repented of his sin and his family's sin. He knew that he was not all okay in here. He knew that he needed to rest on the assurance of, of, of his Savior, of God, and what he was going to do through his Messiah for him. The guilt, when we trust in Christ, the guilt goes away. So I'm no longer responsible for my own sin. Jesus has taken the responsibility. The guilt is I'm not good enough. I'm not in a, in a place that's righteous enough, right? Or, or I don't know enough Bible to share or to speak. And that's guilt, fear also for you and I. The last one was meaninglessness. There is a fear of meaninglessness in this world. You see, Nehemiah had, had felt like he heard the call of God. He had the heart of God. That God, God was giving him some, some project, some work to do in Jerusalem. But in that instance, he was questioning God, did you really say that? Because if I speak, oh man, I don't want this, 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 all this time, these last four months to be meaningless, the preparation I've done and the prayer I've done. And maybe for you, the same thing. Maybe you just feel like, oh, it's, it, what I'm doing is, is it's not affecting anybody. It's, not, it's meaningless work. It's mundane. I put a lot of time and energy into it, but it's not going to affect anybody. Listen, you and I have to be faithful to God and his call. We're faithful to him. You and I, as the redeemed have a hope in Christ that overcomes the fear of death, fear of guilt, and even the fear of meaninglessness because he gives us a, a, a purpose. Fear should not engulf us, but it should open new doors where God is ready to prove his sufficiency to us. You and I, as the redeemed, trust him. So what did Nehemiah do? The king said, what is your request? So Nehemiah prayed. Right there on the spot, Nehemiah prayed. Now, I, I can understand this as a dad. You, you know there's that time of day where your children start to misbehave? It's called all day long. No, no kind of, but not really right. There's that time of day when they start getting tired. They, they're kind of, you know, they're, it's a second or third win. They're trying to fight it, they're, but they're misbehaving a little bit. Right? It's that, pa that patience level as a parent. It starts to go down. And, and I used to think, you know, I'll just deal with this. At the end of the day, I'll just pray again. And at the beginning of the day, I'll pray again. God, give me what I need in order to be the best parent I can. Now, as soon as one of my children start acting up, I'm like, God, give me strength. God, give me strength. I pray right on the spot. I don't stop anymore. I don't wait till the end of the day because I can't wait. I just can't. Waiting to pray is not, not going to help me obey. Nehemiah knew that this opportunity, the king said, what is your request? And, and now he had to rely on God. He said, God, give me the words. And then he spoke. Fears will obviously creep in, but they should not be allowed to stay in our presence long. Grace comes in, mo in our moments of need, especially if our lives are guided by persistent and in faithful prayer. Persistent, faithful prayer. So the question is this, what's the fear that should be driving you to your knees? What's the fear that should be driving me to my knees? Next in his strategy was number two, he was thorough in preparation. Nehemiah was thorough in preparation. I, I, listen, I know we ought to wait for God, and we, we're, it's okay to wait on God. But in the middle of our waiting, we should be acting and obeying and be faithful, as faithful as we can to what God is calling us to be faithful with. With He was thorough in preparation. Nehemiah had lifted his heart to God, 
in prayer, now he must open his mouth and let God speak through him. And what he said was not haphazard. It was something that he knew and he had planned out because he had believed not only in faithful prayer, but he also believed in deliberate planning. Let's look at verse 5, the end of verse 5 through 8 together. It says, So I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. The king said with the queen seated at his side, How long will your journey take, and when will you return? So I gave him a what? A definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. I also said to the king, so I added, so Nehemiah has given him all the things that he knows need to be lined up. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors and to the region west of the Euphrates River so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written, uh, written to Ashaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress and the city wall and the home where I will live. And the king granted my request, for I was graciously strengthened by my God. He was graciously strengthened by his God. So Nehemiah prayed, right? He spent four months praying. And every day he wanted to have success before the king that he might go and rebuild Jerusalem. And every day God said, not yet, not yet. And every day that God said, not yet, Nehemiah planned. Nehemiah prepared. Nehemiah crossed every T and dotted every I that he could. He didn't waste his waiting. You can write that in your notes. Don't waste your waiting. He did everything he could do while he waited. Life sends us into times of waiting, right? Those periods of time we don't hear from God or we don't know exactly what he wants to do, but we're ready. The question is, are we doing all that we can while we wait? Are we still being faithful with all that we can while we wait? I, listen, I, I, I'm a parent of young children, so I have a lot of excuses. Every one of them is my kids. I can't do that because of oh, kids. I can't do it because of kids. You know, I, I can make a lot of excuses and reasons why I can't, shouldn't be involved, why I shouldn't uh, do something as part of my family or, or as my church or as my community. But what God is asking me to do is be as faithful as I can be in that time. Some people who come to our church and maybe, maybe come be part of our fa- fellowship from another church or another community and they, they kind of sit and, they, and they, what do they do? They wait. They watch and they wait. And that's good, but at some point, you've you got to say, I'm going to do all I can while I wait. I'm going to jump in wherever I can while I wait. Because your, your mind goes to, well, I can't be the, the leader of that ministry because I don't have time for that. That's okay. We'll just be involved in some way. Be involved. Like, I can't spend the whole day with my family at home so I just, it's kind of a waste even that 20 minutes. Is that really a waste? Is 20 minutes of good critical time with your children, intentional time with your children a waste? Not at all. B- Bible study, right? I, I can't read or study the Bible like, like my pastor, like my Sunday school teacher can. Yeah, maybe not. That's okay. Can we start at a different level? Yeah. See, it's better to start at kindergarten level reading your Bible than not read it at all, Right? Maybe you can't do the doctorate program and, and read tons of scripture and all these commentaries that go along with it, but you can read a, a chapter or you can look at a daily devotional and, and read, read that. I mean, sure, there's different levels, but do, be faithful to do everything you can while you're waiting, while you're waiting to grow in maturity, while you're waiting for the season in life to, to pass. Whatever, whatever God's calling you to do, do as, as best you can. 
And listen, the thing that Nehemiah explained is it wasn't about all that you can do and how good you are. He gave credit where credit was due. He explained that because of the good, strong hand of God being upon him, that's why the king granted his request. It was because God's favor was there. See, God rewards faithfulness. Our faithfulness honors him and relies on him. That was a hallmark of Nehemiah. Number three, part of Nehemiah's strategy was trusting in God's provision. Trusting in God's provision, how God provided for him. Let's look at these scriptures 9 through 17 together. When I went to the governors of the region west of the, of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters, the king also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. When Sambalah and the, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite uh, official had heard someone had come to seek the well-being of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. So we see kind of the enemy step on stage there. We see the, the, the opposition, and they're, they're a little displeased. These are men who, who were from surrounding areas but considered it their, their responsibility to govern Judah or, be, or they, where they might have been actually governors in Judah, people who had power and had authority over people. They lorded it over the exiles, the remnant who were in broken-down homes with no walls. Later we see another guy come on scene who's his, his, his uh, benefit from the whole thing was more monetary. He wanted it to be good for trade for him and his family. So he wanted to hold on to that power. But it, all of them are seeking power. And when they see that they're there, they were greatly displeased. Verse 11. After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone uh, what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out uh, at night through the valley gate towards the serpent's gate, uh, serpent's well, and the wall and the, and the dung gate. And then I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went out to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up by night uh, by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest of those who, were, uh, who would be doing the work. So I said to them, in verse 17, so I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem remains, or Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. Come, let's build Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. A couple of things I want us to observe out of this, uh, about of God's provision. God was providing for Nehemiah. And here, here's a few things he provided for Nehemiah. First, he provided rest, rejuvenation. The, the trip took months, probably four months to go from, from Susa all the way to Jerusalem. And they had to stop every day and they had to camp every day and they had all these supplies every day. And they were worn out and tired. It was a treacherous, hazardous journey. And they finally get there. You think he'd be chomping at the bit, but the God's like, God's like just, just rest. Take three days and just rest. He's camped out there and people are like, what, what are these guys doing here? They were, they were displeased that they were there to see that they were coming. Nehemiah rested. He'd been traveling for months, and he needed that time to rejuvenate. You and I, God gives that time of rest, and he, he commands that, that we would remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That Sabbath is, is a time of rest, that we would set aside whatever we do the rest of the week. We wouldn't do that one day. 
And that one day we'd set aside to rejuvenate our spirit and soul. We would worship the Lord. And we would come to a place where, where we were in that, in that energetic, energized mode that only came from Him and a rest that He provided. Nehemiah was provided a rest. Next, he was provided like-minded fellowship. Like-minded fellowship. I want you to see, he said in verse 12, um, I got up at night and took a few men with me. See, Nehemiah understood and he valued people of good character and integrity. People who he could trust and who had insight of what was going on. He gathered around him people that would help benefit the cause. He didn't go it alone. And see, restoration that he's trying to do in Jerusalem or a rebuilding happens alongside trustworthy friends. Amen? Restoration and rebuilding in our lives happens alongside trustworthy friends. Ones that we can value and depend on because of their experience and their integrity and honesty and their character. We ought to surround ourselves with those kinds of people, like-minded people. But the opposite happens. The opposite to restoration, the opposite to rebuilding happens when untrustworthy uh, people are, are carelessly given information they shouldn't have or carelessly entrusted with our hearts. People do it all the time. We see junior high girls and boys do it all the time. They trust their hearts to someone that they don't even hardly know. We just entrust. You and I tend to share information, right? I share information about my life with people I trust. Sometimes I share information about my life with people I don't trust, and that does not go so well for me because they share it with other people. It turns into something that it probably wasn't even to begin with. That's called gossip. We ought to entrust people that are trustworthy in our lives. And there are some times we ought not share, and Nehemiah did that as well. It's not quite the right time to share. I don't want to start something I shouldn't. You know, back when Ezra was trying to do this building, he, maybe something got out. Maybe, maybe something slipped out a little too carelessly. And, and, the, and the plans before they were even in motion came to knowledge, and, and they went to the king and said, you've got to stop this. There's an uprising happening. And the king said, no, we're not doing that. Who knows what happened there? But Nehemiah was wise to wait and only share with people he trusted. And finally, he, he knew and believed in the provision of God under a united passion. And I want us to really resonate with that for, for you and I because we are the church of God. We're the family of God. And, and you and I ought to have a united passion with one another for the cause of Christ, for making much of Christ, for lifting up Jesus so that all men and women may come to know him as Savior. It's a united passion. See, Nehemiah shares the heart that he has for the call that God has on his, on his life. He shares this vision with those who would accept responsibility. And he includes himself as a part of the team. You, you remember what he said. Look at verse 17. He says, I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. He had never been to Jerusalem. It's very likely Nehemiah had never, ever been to Jerusalem. He was born in, in Persia. Just as a part of the remnant, he was an Israelite. But his heart was for Jerusalem. His heart was for the city of God. And he identified himself said, See the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. The family of God, the church, the body of Christ, you and I, are we. 
And I, I want you to hold on to that. If, if you keep using terms like, oh yeah, I, I go to the First Baptist Church. I, I, I'm, I, I like the people at the First Baptist Church. You know, oh, that church does a good job. No, that's my church. That's my family. I'm a part of it. And, and for you and I to see God lifted up through our church into our community, into the uttermost parts of the earth, for you and I to see him lifted up, we have to be united together, that all of us have to say, we are going to do something. We are not going to be a disgrace. We are in this together. And Nehemiah knew that God, part of God's provision for his people was a united front and a united passion centered on God Almighty, the great I am. So are you in? Are you a we? Or is it us and me still? Be a we. Finally, number four. Part of Nehemiah's strategy, he was hopeful in God's providence or God's sovereignty, if you want to say it. He was hopeful in God's sovereignty. He knew that God was sovereign and what God was calling him to do was what God was calling him to do, and that was it. Let's look at the last three verses, verse 18 through 20. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. They said, let's start rebuilding. And they were encouraged to do this good work. So he's finishing talking to the folks that was, we are in this together. We need to rebuild. We don't want to be a disgrace. And here's where the hand of God has been doing. Look at what God has been doing. I hope that you can look around your church. I hope that you can look around your family. I hope that you can look at your community and say, look what God's up to. There's something awesome going there. And when we see that God is up to something, you and I ought to jump in and say, let's go. Let's get in both feet. Let's, let's work as hard as we can for the glory of God. In verse 19, opposition arose again. When Sambalah, the Horonite, uh, and Tobiah, the Amorite official, and Geshem, the Arab, there's Geshem, right? He's the one that's more about money, heard about this. They mocked and despised us and said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So you have these, these men who came and, and mocked God's people, mocked God's plan and his purpose. He mocked, do, do people mock what we're doing? Yeah. I get, I get a mocking every, every week from someone in the community about our Thursday night dinners. Too bad. It's serving, it's serving an awesome, awesome purpose, loving people who are in need of community and conversation. They're in need of Jesus. And some are just in need of a warm bowl of soup. That's what we're doing. And we know that God's hand is upon us in that. And the other ministries in our church, the other ways that we're serving and loving each other towards Jesus and we're reaching out to our community, it is important that we continue doing that in the face of opposition, in the face of ridicule and when people question our motives, that we would not back down, that we would reply as Nehemiah did. Look, look what he says in verse 20. I gave them this reply. The God of heaven is the one who will grant us success. Here's what he said. I don't answer to you. I only answer to God. You see in Acts chapter 4 where John and Peter, or Peter and, uh, yeah, Peter and John were both arrested and they were brought before the, the council and said, you're not to speak in the name of Jesus or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. He's like, we don't respond to you. We don't obey you. We, we do what's right in God's sight. And that's who we are as a church. We, we are his people. We aren't their people. 
We're His people. And we're here to obey Him and do what's pleasing in His sight. And the God of heaven who is, is the one who will grant us success. See, He knew in the sovereignty of God, He knew at the end that God wins. And finally it says, we His servants will start building, but you have no share, no right or historic claim in Jerusalem. You want to have power over us. You want to make money off of us. You have no right here. You are not heirs. You are not Israelites. You are not those who want to lift up the name of Jesus. Why does it matter when someone like that ridicules us? Why should it affect me when someone questions my motives who doesn't love or care about lifting up Jesus and making much of Christ? It doesn't matter. Why? Because God wins We know the source of our success. So I want you to think about in your own family, in your own church, in your own community, what is the source of your success? If, if it's you, you might be fighting on the wrong side. If it's you trusting in an almighty God to provide his sovereign hand and provision on you, then you're on the right team. If there's any success in my family, if there's any success in our church, if there's any success in how we interact with the community, it is not about me. It is all about Jesus and what he has done. It's not because Nehemiah was a skillful per, uh, persuader, right? It wasn't because even the queen, Queen Esther, was there and could have been a compliant helper or, or because the king was even generous. It was all because of a sovereign God who provided for his people for such a time as this. God wins. Amen? And there's no telling what God is going to do in and through us, in our families, in our church, in our community, when we faithfully follow him and trust in his plan. I want to be part of that sovereign plan. And I hope you do too. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Father, we are so eager and, and glad to learn from Nehemiah, and I, I pray as we have looked at his strategy today that, that first and foremost we would, we would be driven to our knees in persistent prayer, faithful prayer, moment-by-moment moment prayer that we just rely on you knowing that you're going to provide, that, God, the things you've called us to do, we want to obey because you are sovereign. You are giving us your plan, and you're, you're letting us be a part of it. Help us partner well with you. We love you, Lord. Guide us and direct us. Help us not engulf ourselves in fear, but to obey you fervently every step of the way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.